is it? Oh, hey, it's you. relatively bright outside and we may be saying hello to spring sooner than we thought and I welcome it. It's so simple to listen in, to sleep in. Welcome back. I've got a cup of cocoa here and it's quite nice. Do you like cocoa during the winter? I know people who take their cocoa with whipped cream. Even someone who would add butterscotch and it wasn't the flavored creamer, but the candy. A single piece and supposedly it shook up their whole cocoa experience pretty well. (laughs) Man, I love hot chocolate. And if we're one and the same on this topic, High five. Before we dive into today's show, why not leave a like or review on the podcast? If you enjoy the content, it'll help tremendously. It's The Word Well, Volume 3. If you've been through Volumes 1 and 2, then you know how this works. We're going to have a little fun this evening. But before that, I owe you a good poem. Yes, indeed, I Tonight's poem is from a contributor to FamilyFriendPoems.com named Belinda Stotler. A soothing couplet. It looks to me as if Belinda put her heart into this one, pertaining to another one of our world's greatest wonders, the ocean. I enjoyed this and thought I'd share it with you, my friend. Tonight we read Promises of a New Day. 
The perpetual cadence of the vast sea stirs a restless desire that engulfs me. Like an infinite force I dare not impede, briefly rushing in, only to then recede, beckoning me to leave life's safe shore into deep waters of mystery and lore. The seagull's cries seem to taunt me to follow them over the endless sea where I'd be free to spread my wings and discover the new life the sea brings. Yet, fear holds me fast to a familiar place, away from the unknown trials I may face. Even the ocean's waves seem to conspire, relentlessly calling to stoke curiosity's fire. As they rumble ashore with impatient haste, swirling about my feet with purpose chaste, urging me to follow as they return to the sea, leaving a luring trail of life or its relics for me. Shall I boldly explore the sea's possibilities or allow imagined worries to be liabilities, although I cannot foretell all the sea offers, the strong desire to enrich my mind's coffers begs me to obey the sea's enticing siren song and let its wandering currents carry me along. As the day slowly wanes on the sea's horizon, I ponder the sea's glittering trail to the sun, inviting me to watch its vibrant dying light before the day's life gives way to the night. Still, I lingered a while after it faded away, wondering about the promises of a new day. I've got to say, this was a great read. Her command of the English language, it flows and is cool. <laughs> Belinda begins the poem with the line, The perpetual cadence of the vast sea stirs a restless desire that engulfs me. Instead of saying something much simpler, such as the voice of the sea fills me with desire. She takes that idea and finds an alternate way to convey it, a way with more ambiguity and behold. She puts the extra time to bring life to what is being received by us, and that's golden. I thank you for that, Belinda. Like an infinite force, I dare not impede, briefly rushing in, only to then recede, beckoning me to leave life's safe shore into deep waters of mystery and lore. The rhyme scheme is an added plus, by the way.
She speaks of the ocean's waves and their influence over her spirit. The vast, mysterious open water can only spell adventure in a dreamer's mind. Think about it. When you were at the beach, sitting on the shore, the sun going down and the waves crashing, pulling back to sea, did you ever once think to yourself, I wonder what's down there? You know how it goes. Deep sea treasures, lost worlds and civilizations, discoveries. You've seen the movies. You've read the books. But you've got to wonder, there's more to it than that, isn't there? more than that to any child of the sea. The seagull's cries seem to taunt me, to follow them over the endless sea, where I'd be free to spread my wings and discover the new life the sea brings. The ocean birds live an interesting life, yes they do. They call to each other soaring over the great blue and looking to go only God knows where. It's mystifying, and this woman is eager to join them in anticipation of what a new life at sea could bring. I can understand that. Fun fact. Seagulls love french fries. Yet, Fear holds me fast to a familiar place, away from the unknown trials I may face. There's a natural hesitance in us all that some have better control over than others. It is a mistake to allow fear to keep you from getting over the wall when there's gold on the other side. Am I right? Be fearless. Even the ocean's waves seem to conspire, relentlessly calling to stoke curiosity's fire. As they rumble ashore with impatient haste, swirling about my feet with purpose chaste, urging me to follow as they return to the sea, leaving a luring trail of life or its relics for me. Again, I appreciate what she's doing here. Shall I boldly explore the sea's possibilities or allow imagined worries to be liabilities? Regrets, regrets, regrets. Don't go through life piling one after another. In hindsight, it's almost guaranteed we look back with our head down. Maybe that opportunity was one we should have taken. Although I cannot foretell all the sea offers, the strong desire to enrich my mind's coffers begs me to obey the sea's enticing siren song and let its wandering currents carry me along.
fear and temptation do tango. They do. Oftentimes our want is stronger than any fear, giving us the courage to follow through. Temptation and wonder are hand in hand, strong enough to back any desire, no matter how small or vast like the ocean. As the day slowly wanes on the sea's horizon, I ponder the sea's glittering trail to the sun, inviting me to watch its vibrant dying light before the day's life gives way to the night. Still, I lingered a while after it faded away, wondering about the promises of a new day. Belinda, thank you for this contribution to the world. I enjoyed it very much. What did you think of this poem? Leave a comment or comment to yourself. I hope you're ready. Ready for what? It's the Wordwell Volume 3. And we're off. Pumping. about chemicals for a sec. Chemicals is fun to say, first and foremost. I don't know about you, my friend, but when I used to see a colorful looking liquid inside of a bottle, like a cleaning product or what have you, I would feel enticed enough to want to sip. Of course it never happened, but Jokes aside, a chemical is any pure substance, be it a liquid, solid, or gas, that contains matter and is either created naturally or by humans. It would appear almost everything that exists can be technically considered a chemical because almost everything is made of matter. If you can hold, smell, or taste it, eight times out of ten, it's probably a chemical. The water you're drinking? Chemicals. The items you're hoarding in that box no one knows about? You know which one. <laughs> Chemicals. Your brother or sister or even that large pizza sitting on the counter chemicals. Okay? <laughs> I'm being silly still. In summary, anything that contains matter is essentially a what? <laughs>
a chemical. What is matter? Anything that contains mass and occupies space. Matter consists of many bits, from atoms to molecules to subatomic particles. Although invisible to the naked eye, these are what tend to make up solid matter. Here's another fact. Technically, a herd of goats can be classified as a chemical. Okay, okay. But seriously, though, some things we encounter in this life consist of no atoms, no molecules or particles. Things like gravity or thoughts. UV light contains no mass or particles. Therefore, it is not a chemical. Heat? same boat. There it is in fact not a chemical. How many times have I said chemical? I would count, but I'm not going to do that. Here, why don't we take a look at some random lab chemicals? Thanks to homesciencetools.com for the extensive catalog. Potassium chlorate, made from potassium chloride and sodium chlorate. Sulfuric acid. You've got hydrochloric acid. Maybe you've wondered what the difference between them was. For some reason. Well, I'll tell you. But before that, sodium hydroxide is another a strong, alkaline, white, deliquescent compound that is extremely corrosive, does not occur in nature, and is inexpensive to make. Lithium chloride. Strontium chloride. Ammonium nitrate. A white crystalline solid used as a fertilizer and as a component of some explosives. Formaldehyde, a strong-smelling, colorless gas used in the process of making household products, glues and adhesives, plywood, things like that. When formaldehyde is dissolved in water, it becomes formalin, which is used commonly as an industrial-strength disinfectant and a preservative in common cosmetics, medicines, and antiseptics. Copper 2-sulfate Zinc powder Universal indicator which is a blend of pH indicator solutions made up of several compounds that exhibit color changes and identify the pH of another solution over a wide, specific range of values. Potassium permanganate, luminol, ethyl acetate, glycerin, a simple polycompound, viscous, 
odorless and colorless with a sweet taste widely used in regards to solvents, sweetening agents, and pharmaceuticals. Copper powder, petroleum ether, pepsin, lime water. As you can see, buddy, there are quite a few on the list, and it goes on. Now, why don't we take a look at the illustrious periodic table of elements? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's move on. Oh, lest I forget, hydrochloric and sulfuric acid share a couple differences. The main being that hydrochloric acid has one hydrogen atom and one chlorine atom, and sulfuric acid has two hydrogen one sulfur, and four oxygen atoms. That's it. It's quite simple to listen in. Word number two is... Hmm. Myth. A legendary or traditional tale concerning a being, person, or historical event that typically offers little to no fact or natural explanation. You probably know of a few off the top of your head, right? Like how bulls despise the color red, or that cracking your knuckles can lead to arthritis. There are many of them, lingering the minds of people all over. Maybe you included, my friend. In my earliest years, a then-family friend played a trick on me and some of the neighborhood kids and spoke of a troll that lived in the creek by a playground I would frequent. A troll that ate the skin and bones of all children. You could probably surmise how much I would visit the park after hearing such a thing. Turns out, at the time, the only trolling in the neighborhood that was going on was from him. <laughs> when I look back, I was naive and pretty impressionable, which is common among children, so it's all good. I forgive you. Why don't we take a moment to look at a few popular, as well as unpopular, myths and misconceptions. These aren't categorized by level of absurdity or anything. Some of these are liable to catch you by surprise. We'll shoot for seven. Let's see what we've got. Our first myth is about good old George Washington and the fact that his teeth were not made of wood. America's president, the very first, in fact. According to History.com, George Washington experienced dental problems most of his adult life, and by the time of his inauguration as president in 1789, he had but only a single tooth left. 
when he took oath, he wore a special set of dentures that were of ivory, brass, and gold, but no wood, built by his dentist, John Greenwood. Losing but the only natural tooth that he did have, he gave it to Greenwood as a keepsake. Isn't that generous? As you can see, no wood. Historians from the Washington Library believe this myth came to form by the ivory becoming stained over time, giving off the appearance and color of wood. I'll admit, I was sold on the wooden chompers for a while. Our second myth is needing to drink eight glasses of water daily, dating as far back as 1945. Now, you and I both know how important it is to drink water. To stay hydrated is to stay alive. Not only for us humans, but to every living thing on this planet. Our bodies contain up to 60% water, which means essentially we are water, or just more than half water. You know what I mean. USGS.gov wrote an article in May of 2019 called The Water in You, Water and the Human Body. Inside, they highlight this very fact and go as far as to detail a few of water's essential functions that keep us going, such as lubricating joints, flushing waste mainly through urination, regulation of core body temperature through sweat and respiration, and more. Water is most certainly our friend and you don't have to feel bad for not getting in that eighth glass of water. Want to know why? Because it depends. Yes, it's entirely variable. Depending upon your body type, activity, age, and even where you live, our recommended daily intake can change. Staying consistently hydrated throughout our lives is the best way we can stay healthy. And if you're not a fan of water, like I used to be, you'd be surprised at the many benefits that come with maintaining adequate hydration. I'll tell you a secret. <laughs> They're pretty awesome. See for yourself. Our third myth it takes approximately seven years for your body to digest chewing gum. I've never heard of this one before. As a kid, I used to believe if you swallow your gum, it'll get stuck and you could choke. Naturally, I never wanted to deal with that. And that makes sense, right? This myth has circulated amongst us for what seems like many years, but turns out to be a bunch of hooey. Our bodies simply cannot digest gum at all. It just moves through the digestive system in quick time and exits the body naturally 
no harm, no foul. Myth number four. We swallow eight spiders a year while we sleep. For the record, spiders are weird looking, yes. They have many legs, come in different shapes and statures and cause panic in a lot of most men, women, and children when in fact we are more detrimental to them than the reverse. Think about it. Most of the time you won't run into a spider even remotely the size of a Yorkie. And if that's the case, they have more reason to be afraid of us. And they are. Beyond the Treat, which is a website devoted to providing a large variety of helpful information centered around pets and animals, wrote an article in December of 2021 called Do Spiders Have Feelings? In this article, it serves to answer one question. Do spiders have emotional intelligence like we do? It's unknown, but for the most part, they do not. They do not experience sadness, fear, or anger, think or plan. They simply react. React to stimuli in their environment. We give off pretty strong vibrations. When we move or talk, these subtle vibrations are sent out in the environment and if there's a critter nearby, you can safely bet it's looking to stay wary of you. The same goes for when we're asleep in bed. We give off vibrations still, but they're much calmer. Spiders pick up on the stimuli and react by steering clear of the source, naturally. In the moment, it is only conscious of its survival and will react, move, and shape its environment to ensure it stays alive. So although technically you could swallow a spider in your sleep, technically, the chances of that happening are slim to none, let alone eight of them a year. Let's get down to myth number five, the five-second rule. You know, where you accidentally drop your coney on the ground and instead of throwing it away, you wait five seconds before you decide it's safe to eat. Because it's the five-second rule. What I'll say next may not surprise you, or maybe it will. But there might lie a few exceptions for eating food off the floor. Allow me to go further. Healthline.com wrote and medically reviewed their findings in an article called Is the Five-Second Rule an Urban Legend? The principle behind the aforementioned is that when you drop your food on a contaminated surface, 
the microorganisms on that surface won't have time to transfer onto the food as long as it is picked up within five seconds. Sounds like hooey, doesn't it? I'm growing partial to that word. The truth is, it depends on the food and the surface. Allow me to go even further. The article examines a group of researchers from Rutgers and a study that found food moisture plays a sizable part in the transfer of germs. When we think about a watermelon, there's one thing we can deduce. It's a melon, and it's watery. Make that two things. If you and I were at a party, and beside the hors d'oeuvres, cubed watermelon, the moment I drop one of those cubes on the floor, something happens. There is now a relationship between the watermelon, the moisture that coats it, and the microcontaminants on the ground. If I were to pick it up, there would be a speck of water remaining, which lets me know that some kind of exchange has just taken place. Germs meet watermelon. Watermelon meet germs. Germs meet body. Body meet potential foodborne illness. No thanks. A piece of popcorn or a chip? You might be safer, but uh, it would depend heavily upon the surface. Carpet? Cool. Carpet has a very low transfer rate, researchers found out. But wood, stainless steel, or whatever, they're not as lucky and have a higher chance of housing contaminants and transferring those contaminants onto your food. As you can see, my friend, largely this has to do with where you're at and what you're eating. Currently, I've got carpet. No shoes are allowed in the room, so... Yeah, if I drop my 8pm movie popcorn, I don't have to worry as much. The five-second rule isn't a thing, but... Only sometimes food is safe to eat off the floor. Know your surroundings. Myth number six, all deserts are hot. When I think of a desert, I think of sand and water canteens. I think of hot temperatures and convection. I think of an oven. Not all deserts were created alike, however. Polar deserts are a thing, too. Or ice deserts. Whichever you feel. The fact of the matter is, although they share similarities between them, like being called deserts, having little to no moisture in the air, or being wide, vast areas that exercise temperature extremes, they are quite different. 
mainly because they're based around different ends of the spectrum where polar deserts sport low annual temperatures with the warmest month of the year having an average temperature of less than 10 degrees Celsius, which is 50 degrees Fahrenheit, during that short summer period. And the coldest winters, often long, sitting at an average of minus 2 degrees Celsius, or 28 degrees Fahrenheit, according to a read from worldatlas.com. Polar deserts have a heavy, salty soil that leaches salt from deep within, on its own. This phenomenon creates a dense salt border around neighboring oceans, preventing them from freezing over in the harsh climate. Isn't that cool? I wouldn't have found this stuff quite as fascinating sitting in my sixth grade science classroom, but I'm glad I've learned to appreciate these things now. Snow dunes and icebergs further up north. Bring a jacket. Two jackets. Bring your buddy too, and the camera. Oh, and raw meat to feed the dreaded snow predators. I'm just kidding. Or maybe I'm not. I am. Moving on to our last myth. Myth number seven. Napoleon Bonaparte was an extremely short man. What can be said about good old Napoleon Bonaparte? He was the first emperor of France a feared French military general and one of the world's greatest militant minds to ever live. Via biography.com Details of Napoleon's life are quite interesting. Having gone through years of rigorous military schooling at a young age to having his father pass away from a stomach cancer in the midst of his studies, leaving him to assume his position as head of the family, to graduating early and returning to the French island of Corsica in 1786, only to fall out with one of his father's former allies and relocate to France in 1793, where they took on the French version of their name, Bonaparte and bore witness to a period of state-sanctioned mass violence and executions known as the Reign of Terror from then to 1794, to being named commander of the Army of the Interior and a trusted advisor to the Directory, the French revolutionary government that took control of France in 1795, to being the leader of an army 30,000 strong, malnourished and disgruntled, turning that army completely around and going on to demonstrate a military prowess and expertise that cemented a remarkable legacy until his death in 1821. His height? He was 5'7". 
slightly taller than the average Frenchman in his day. I hope you enjoyed going over these myths and misconceptions with me. If you found one or more of these a surprise, so did I, and I'll tell you something else. It doesn't stop there. I'm positive there are tons we haven't gone over. Go have a look. Get your shock value. We're looking for our next word, and it's coming up. We're pumping away. Word number three, appreciate. To be grateful for. To fully recognize the worth of something. It's nice to feel appreciation. And if you didn't know, March 5th is National Employee Appreciation Day. You've got more with Bartender Appreciation Day on December 3rd, National Device Appreciation Day on the 17th, Appreciate a Dragon Day on January 16th, Community Appreciation Day on the 25th, and so forth. These days are focused around recognizing and celebrating the importance of these things that are easy to take for granted. I don't have much for this word, but why not talk about some of the things I appreciate? Yeah, I appreciate my family, all of the things I have and all of the experiences that made me who I am right now. I appreciate the sun and moon. I appreciate the stars. I appreciate rainy days. I appreciate the stillness they provide. I appreciate getting caught in a soft rain. Picture a warm spring afternoon. You're walking your dog or just taking a walk by yourself. You feel a light mist against your face. Light and refreshing. That's what I'm talking about. I also appreciate those harder rainfalls too. The constant beating of rain outside of the window. I appreciate storms. The rumble of thunder, being inside with someone or something you love while the outside world is paused momentarily. I appreciate the late nights, nights at the bar, nights on the town, doing fun things with fun people. I appreciate the drinks the laughs, the lights, the pace. I appreciate knowledge. I appreciate information, correct information. I appreciate good music. 
I've never been genre-specific. If it sounds good, it feels good. I appreciate a fresh pitcher of lemonade. I appreciate a summer's day. I appreciate a good sunset as well as sunrise. There's just something magical about them. I appreciate artwork, contributions of the mind and heart born onto a canvas. It's been said that eyes are windows into the soul of another. I'd like to think artistic ventures display the soul of a person in ways that eyes do not. We become a small part of the things that inspire us and collectively it becomes a little bit of who we are. What do you think? I appreciate watercolors. I appreciate lessons learned in the past. I appreciate the present and the things that I have. I appreciate what the future will bring. And last but not least, I appreciate you, my friend. Yes, I do. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. I appreciate so much about this life, and we could go on, but it's just about time to say goodnight. Before we do just that, please share this podcast with anyone you think could use a buddy in the dark. Someone they can rely on when the nights get a little rocky. If you enjoy the content, consider leaving a like, comment, or review of the podcast. Sleep around.